Malanele listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, Kohoko Hingwa, Kokoroi Hawkins. Coming up, we cannot successfully host the national general elections and the Pacific Games in the same year. A Solomon Islands bill to defer the dissolution of parliament has been passed in the House. Also, well, largely it's seen as the US's response to China's increased engagement uh, in the Pacific region. We talked to a trade and justice campaigner who expects pressure on Pacific countries to sign a new US economic treaty and... One of the things that has been lacking is a clear focus on agriculture. We take a closer look at the Papua New Guinea Prime Minister's plans to resurrect the country's economy. A controversial constitutional amendment to defer the dissolution of Solomon Islands Parliament in 2023 by seven months has just been passed by Parliament in Honiara. During the second reading of the Constitution Amendment Bill 2022, Prime Minister Manasse Songovare reiterated his reasoning for the extension. The Democratic Coalition Government for Advancement is steadfast in its decision to delay the dissolution of this current House. The reasons are simple. And we have consistently said this since day one, Mr. Speaker. We cannot successfully host the national general elections and the Pacific Games in the same year while our economy is still recovering from the, from the impacts of COVID-19 and the damage caused by public unrest. It is not, not only about financial cost, Mr. Speaker, but also the necessary preparations logistical requirements which, re, which, which include both domestic and international air, land and sea services that are still not keeping up with current demand. Also, Mr. Speaker, the manpower resources needed to ensure that these events uh, can be completed uh, successfully, Mr. Speaker. But this was disputed by the Leader of Opposition, Matthew Wale, in his contribution to the ensuing debate. Sir, this bill is the result of a scheme by the Prime Minister to remain in power for longer than is necessary at the cost of the voters' right to exercise their votes at the general election in 2023. (coughs) Mr. Speaker, Cabinet first approved the extension of Parliament paper back in February of 2021. Soon after, the Prime Minister on this floor sidestepped questions on that decision. Giving the impression that Cabinet was yet to make a decision on the matter. There was clear intent, it appears, sir, to hide the decision from the public. Since February 2021, the Prime Minister schemed to not allocate resources to the Electoral Commission for elections preparations in the normal manner. Sir, Government did not undertake any meaningful, objective public consultations on the Cabinet decision of February 2021. Sir, the first point is, government by secrecy, sir, is government by deception. Manasseh Songovare's core argument for tabling the constitutional amendment, a lack of funding, 
was scuttled this month after Australia's Foreign Minister Penny Wong revealed they have offered to help fund the election in 2023. And while Honiara has yet to officially respond to Canberra's offer of election funding support, the Prime Minister Manasi Songovare slammed the timing of Minister Wong's revelation to the media ahead of this week's debate on the motion. Our further, our further concern, Mr Speaker, was that it was announced on the day that this bill was read for the first time, Mr Speaker. This bill is before Parliament for us to debate and make a decision on. It is for Parliament to decide, Mr Speaker. Parliament is here to make a decision on this. The announcement by the Australian Foreign Affairs Minister is seen by the Government of Solomon Islands as attempt to directly interfere, Mr Speaker, into our domestic affairs, especially when this is a matter that is before this very House, Mr Speaker. The Government will be making diplomatic representation in due course, sir. Timing aside, the opposition leader Matthew Wale posed the question that if funding was no longer an issue, what then was the motive for delaying the election? There never was any need to choose between whether to hold the general elections or host the Pacific Games. We can and should hold both in 2023. An unnecessary bill, sir, that tampers with our constitution with a matter that can be accommodated within existing legal provisions begs the question, why? Mr. Speaker, although Cabinet made a decision on this matter in February of 2021, the Prime Minister has been deliberate to ensure that registration updates for the general elections must not happen in time for a normal election cycle in 2023. This, sir, is blackmail of the people of this country and their parliament. It is part of a scheme to place parliament in a no-option position, but to approve the postponement of general elections. Sir, it is an abuse of process and a hijacking of the people's right to exercise their vote come four years, which was when they last exercised that vote, in the full expectation that they will exercise it again in four years. Having now been passed, the dissolution of Solomon Islands Parliament in 2023 has been moved from May to December, delaying the national election and effectively giving Manasseh Songovara's DCGA government more time in office. Mr Songovare remained adamant the move was a practical exercise reflecting the economic realities of a country emerging from a global pandemic, but Mr Wale warns it sets a dangerous precedent for future governments. The newly reinstalled James Marape government in Papua New Guinea wants to resurrect the country's moribund economy. But how? Don Wiseman spoke with our correspondent Scott Wyde, who talked about the sectors they will try to reinvigorate and the challenges they will face. 
a whole range of issues that they need to address. And one of the things that has been lacking is a clear focus on agriculture because agriculture, the primary industries, have been long talked about, but there's been very little action or there's been action that's been inconsistent. For example, when Sir Michael Somari was prime minister, he initiated what was called the Green Revolution, trying to get the PNG Defence Force on board to cut down transport costs. That fell through after a few years and it hasn't really been revived. And when the PNC government came in, they tried to also focus on agriculture. But there were a whole host of obstacles that they had to deal with. You know, the lack of roads into rural areas, that's been one of the biggest obstacles. The commodity prices overseas that have been fluctuating and the lack of price stabilization mechanism over the years that the government hasn't really addressed. They've tried to address it in the last five years, but coffee prices have gone up and come down. Some provincial governments have introduced forms of stabilization, I guess. For example, in the Eastern Highlands, where the governor, Peter Nomo, has tried to stabilize coffee prices and increase prices for local farmers. So it's things like that. And the creation of new ministries, for example, oil palm and coffee, is directly related to that effort to improve the agricultural landscape. It's going to come down to transport and also the whole biosecurity thing, isn't it? Those are the sorts of things that they really need to get sorted because we know that Papua New Guinea can grow the vegetables, can grow the coffee. Just getting it to market on time before it spoils is the problem. Yes, and another issue is Papua New Guinea's ability to meet international demand because, I mean, for example, there were a a few seminars held over the years uh, and and one of the issues that was raised was that China consumes a lot of pork uh, and if Papua New Guinea were to supply pork, the supply would run out in a few days. Uh, You know, examples like that. So the government has to really uh, look at ways to make the political statements on the floor of parliament, make the political statements outside of parliament, and then actually funding the mechanism and driving it and making it happen. For rural areas, getting into rural areas has always been this huge, huge problem that successive governments have had to deal with. You've got coffee rotting in the in villages, unable to come to town, unable to reach the market. And when it comes to market, it's already spoiled. And the other issue that the government is keen to move on very quickly is the Wafi Gopu project. And that's been one of the discussions that happened during the Morbe Provincial Assembly, the first Morbe Provincial Assembly after the elections. Uh, and uh, we, we were there yesterday when it was discussed by the Provincial Assembly, which included uh, national MPs, including the Deputy Prime Minister and Minister for Finance and, and all the Morbe MPs. So it, it was one of the issues that was raised. With Wafi Golpu, uh, there is, as always in PNG, very significant environmental concerns, and they have not been dealt with. Yes, they they haven't really been dealt with. And yesterday when the new governor for Morbid, the re-elected governor for Morbid, Luther Wenge, spoke at the swearing-in ceremony, he said, we're going to withdraw all the court cases against this project and we're going to proceed with DC tailings disposal. It was, I guess, for the audience, received well, but there'll there'll be debates over the coming weeks. So Luther Wenge is just going to allow the dumping of, of the tailings in the ocean? Yes, 
saying deep sea tailings disposal will happen and that's where I'm going to get the money to pay for free education. We've been talking about what the government is going to do to try and kickstart the economy and looked at one or two things here. What else are they doing? Yes, so the measures that they've taken, like increasing the minimum wage tax threshold, the results of it or the impact of it, we, we have to see the impact of it. And the the other thing that they have to deal with is for small to medium enterprises because they're trying to, as much as possible, encourage people to start their own businesses. And if they have one income, like a paid job, their government's encouraging them to start their own businesses. The problem with that is that small businesses that are importing don't have the availability of foreign exchange in the banks to cater for the imports. Now, foreign exchange, you, you can't even get 5,000 US dollars or 2,000 US dollars. We, we had an experience where we were trying to exchange money for 2,000 US dollars. It was difficult. So people who are starting businesses trying to import material from overseas, the construction material or uh, merchandise from overseas have that difficulty. And it's not just affecting the big businesses. It's affecting one-man, two-man businesses, family businesses who are trying to make ends meet uh, and create a separate income. So while there are all these political statements being made, the the reality on the ground is really difficult for small businesses and Papua New Guineans who are trying to deal with all that. The other thing is a lot of small businesses and SMEs are complaining about the tax rates that are being charged that are being charged to, to them. And that's a significant challenge for any small business in Papua New Guinea as well. The United States is spearheading a new economic treaty and Pacific countries are being asked to sign up. The Pacific Network on Globalization or PANG says the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework participants already include Australia, New Zealand, India, Malaysia and from the Pacific so far, Fiji. Spokesperson for PANG, Adam Wolfenden, says Pacific countries will come under enormous pressure to sign. He told Don Wiseman more about a plan of which he says little has been publicly revealed. Well, largely it's seen as the U.S.'s response to China's increased engagement uh, in the Pacific region. And also it's seen as a way to try and contain that that engagement. And what it's being pitched as is like an economic framework. There's currently four pillars involved in the discussion. So there's trade, there's supply chain, there's like a clean energy decarbonisation and infrastructure pillar, and then the final one is tax and anti-corruption. And so it's being pitched as not, a, not necessarily a free trade deal, but what we've seen so far is that it is very much a, a free trade deal. How do you mean? Well, there's still a lot of secrecy, which is a huge part of the problem, is that the ministerial discussions, the draft texts, they're, they're not available. We have seen one text leaked on bilaterals.org and of the trade pillar. And so a lot of what is included in that leaked text is very standard language and intentions around what they want to do in a trade deal. So we're seeing language on digital trade and e-commerce. We're seeing good, I think, how do they describe it? I think it's good regulatory practices, competition policy, agriculture, trade facilitation, so a lot of standard components to a trade deal. Uh, The US has said that they're not going to include market access commitments, so the, the traditional commitments on reducing import taxes is not included. But that's largely believed to be because the U.S. wants to try and get this through its domestic processes as fast as it can. And and the import tax 
issue is always a sticky point with a lot of domestic constituents within the U.S. But what we're seeing from this then is that it's a trade deal aimed more explicitly at change to the economic regulatory processes and practices within the countries that sign up. And so this will benefit those bigger companies from the bigger party to engage in developing country economies like the Pacific Islands, like Fiji, or you know, other, other countries that are going to be involved. How interested are they in the Pacific or the Pacific Island countries? I understand that of the trade ministers meeting, it's just Fiji that's involved at this point. Yeah, that's right. So currently Fiji is the only country that has indicated its involvement. We do know that the US is hosting a Pacific Island summit on the 28th of September. And I imagine there will be a lot of encouragement, a lot of um, emphasis on being part of this framework. And I think it is more in the interest of sidelining China. If they become part of this framework, then their economies, their practices, and kind of the economic organization of their economies will be more aligned to the way that it happens within the U.S. And that, that facilitates U.S. business within those countries. And the markets of the Pacific Island countries are a lot smaller compared to other members like India, Malaysia, New Zealand. But I think the interest is more the, the geopolitical strategic alignment away from China than necessarily the commercial interest in and of itself. So at this point, good or a bad thing for the Pacific Islands? Well, at this point, it's very unclear. There's very little information out there about what the framework will look like. The concern, I think, at the moment, apart from the lack of transparency, is this framing of economic development for the Pacific as an either-or. You know, it's either China or the US, and you've got to pick one. And I think that sort of framework and that sort of headspace around sort of engaging with economic partners is detrimental approach. You know, it's not saying, well, what's in the best interest of the Pacific? How do we change and, and develop economic ideas and development prospects that are based in the Pacific reality? Not, you know, these failed models of trade and development that keep getting rolled out by countries like the US, by Australia and New Zealand. And, th- and that's largely what we'll see with the IPAF, we imagine. It'll be a cut and paste of other US-based agreements to try and stitch something together. Malo Pito, that brings us to the end of Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart, Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Malo, 